0: impermanence, impermanence. and it's said that uh, these uh, teachings, these contemplations on impermanence can give us a sense of spiritual urgency when we hear them in terms of their nature moment to moment, and also in terms of their nature in, in the infinite immensity of impermanence in life, of life. So... Actually, the title of tonight's talk is The River of Life, The River of Change. When I was in my 20s, I was inspired by a book by Hermann Hesse called Siddhartha. So I I imagine many of you have read that. How many of you have read that book? So, way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, that makes me happy. So, so much uh, in the book was so beautiful, and actually I've forgotten a lot of it, you know, all of the details, and um, what remains with me is that part, and I don't know if this was the actual intention for, me, for the meaning of it, but it struck me in this way, in terms of uh, when Siddhartha was sitting next to the river, and there was this um, teaching that came, to his heart and his mind about change. And it wasn't about hearing any Dharma talk or words about it or, you know, reading any scriptures. It was all about just hearing, just listening, just seeing, just noticing in his own heart about how things were always moving along, always changing. And so here we are silently taking in that river of change in our lives, in these moment-to-moment experiences that we're living out today and ending each moment. So we're taking this teaching in with each sense door. We're listening. We're seeing. We're knowing that impermanence just by being in life and this is what a whole lot of the turning towards in our moment in our times with you uh in in our check-ins this is what it's all about just always turning your heart and mind towards that a lot of times when we would report to our own teachers what they were looking for a lot and what they would feed back to us is did you notice how that disappeared or changed or how it appeared out of nowhere and how this arose and then it passed away and something else came about and sometimes we would just have to listen to ourselves you know give give the report and we would understand that impermanence that deep sense of anicca that deep trusting nature that we could open our hearts to. Anyway, whenever I remember that image and that story uh, of Siddhartha, it brings me to the present time and how we were all taught, uh, all of us up here who were offering the teachings and were doing our best to offer to you also, we were also taught to listen, to be awake to what's going on outside of us around us and inside of us bring awareness to that flow of the river of life that's happening all the time are we hearing are we listening are we aware are we seeing it moment to moment so it's happening in this simplicity as we do our best to be present with this river of life that's always flowing you know the the five physical sense doors, um, seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, touching, and the mind door, the heart mind door, the flow that's always going through there. It's this incredible river of change that we're actually living in, moment to moment to moment. So there's a wholesome, the beautiful qualities of mind, the contentedness, the joy, the gratitude. The generosity that we give one another that we're constantly experiencing and also the unwholesome states that we're learning to open to with more grace and more graciousness and more nobility to even open to those places with compassion. A few years ago I spent some time hiking through some old growth forests in the National Park in Washington, Rainier National Park, and um, it was a time when um, my my dear friend Steve Armstrong and partner in the Dharma wanted he and I wanted to have some simplicity of life to just slow down and just be simple and hear the trees rustling and our footsteps going up a path and a river going by, just going up to a waterfall. So it was at that time where um, the intention was just to be with the rhythm of life, just to have it all around us and have a sense of connecting it, connecting that awareness within us. And that was a very simple intention that we had. Later, I learned about forest bathing um, and how many of you know about forest bathing? yeah it's it's a beautiful um, experience that actually we're having here, you know, when we go amongst the trees or through the through the hills, you know through the grasses too. Uh, it's what we're doing here, this bathing in this nature and uh, this forest bathing comes from... Uh, the cultures of Korea and also Japan. It comes from other roots and other cultures too, but these are the cultures that are kind of making it more, us more alert to it in this day and time. Um, it's called forest therapy, the medicine of simply being in a forest. And so this is the therapy we're having here together. So I want to just tell you some of its aims because they coincide with our own aims of our deepening practice here, being in this nature around us and learning to be in this nature within us in a more open, receptive, deeply intuitive way. So the aim of forest bathing as it is with us here is to slow down to become immersed in the natural environment and here in meditation, it's the inner natural environment too. To become aware of smells and textures and tastes and sights of the forest, intentionally tuning in to all of our senses, all of our senses, and tuning in to our breath as well as a forest breathes, so does this being breathe. To clear out the clutter in the mind, to just be here so it's talked about in um, in medical research in Japan and also in Korea that it actually boosts immunity and it lowers uh, blood pressure and kind of helps with the stress hormones and actually studies are being done on how it is healing cancer so we're not, you know here we're really going for just realizing what in our hearts and minds needs to be more in tune, more in sync with nature at a deeper and deeper level. So here, perhaps the concept of time and... um, Deadlines, dissolves, you know, it it takes a while to lose our sense of we got to achieve something and do something. We're constantly reminding one another to relax, to slow down, to let go of needing to do anything and to just be. The markers that we have in our day are just when we need to be here, sunrise or before that for the morning sitting, times to eat times to sit, bell rings, uh, we know what to do at those times, and um, time for sleep, time for rest. You know, there, there's not this kind, these kinds of deadlines that hold us in bondage in our daily lives sometimes. So as uh, we walked along this path on the side of a river, it was along one of the major glacial rivers um, that went up to a waterfall we were walking at a, a pleasant natural pace and being the, in the normal way of being aware that we've been practicing for a number of years now so that comes pretty naturally and it was simply being not accomplishing anything and that in itself was really a relief, a healing so I remembered vividly um, still do the walk in that forest because we intentionally went there to just be and to just be slower and just be simple so we decided to just take in the five sense doors I mean we hadn't heard about forest bathing but we kind of intuitively understood just to take in the five sense doors just as The Buddha had given instructions many times just to be with the hearing. When a sound arises, just to be with the simplicity of hearing. When sights arise, just to be with the simplicity of seeing. When smells arise, just to be with the simplicity of the awareness of smelling. Hearing, tasting, seeing, smelling, sensing at the when the foot would hit the ground, sensing the foot, feeling the hardness, the softness, the pressure, pressure, the tightness that might be there, just at the pure elemental level. And this is what we're coming to see in our practice, that incredible simplicity of life, really delving in to that depth of just being, where we begin to break through the many concepts that we've held and understand deeper concepts that might present a new view of life, freeing views of life. So sometimes as I walked along there would be just that, just coolness when the sense of um, rain would hit my face, or just warmth when I felt inside the rain jacket I was wearing or just noticing the light hit upon the raindrops on the trees and see the glisten and just notice seeing not embellishing it with anything else just keeping it really really simple that kind of moment to moment awareness that kind of noticing how seeing would disappear into a moment of hearing would disappear into a moment of sensing coolness, disappear into the moment of a breath, coming and going of everything, the rhythmic pulsing of the heartbeat, awareness of just pulsing, just that, just awareness taking in like a mirror every single sense door, every single moment of the mind, taking up what it could, so simple, so refreshing, so renewing. So sometimes the sound of the river in the background along the path we were walking would call attention. Just the sound of rushing water going amongst, amongst boulders and fallen trees, but not thinking about those things. It would just be rushing a trickling here and there, a roaring, a flowing, just awareness of hearing, hearing being known. Sometimes interspersed with that would be just seeing shifting of color, form, not thinking about past or future, just being with that moment. So here in our practice together, we are all practicing that as we do our, um, offer our teaching, we're doing the best we can along with all of you. So just being in that utter simplicity where we can be with this flowing, moment to moment way of being with life. And seeing the arising sometimes, the fluxing, sometimes we're in the middle of it changing, Sometimes awareness notices it just disappears, just like that. So in seeing of all of this, in noticing of all of this, there's also a deep understanding that's happening. Nobody's giving a Dharma talk about it except the nature around us. Nobody's in our ear telling us this is what's happening it's just this understanding that there's nothing to possibly hold on to it's the whole nature of life that's showing us that if we hold on if we cling it hurts it's like maybe joseph in his talk last night i've heard that talk so many times sometimes in different ways he uses different he uses different analogies but one time he gave an analogy of it's like rope burn. If you hold on really tightly to a rope that's moving, it's going to burn. It's going to hurt. And so this is what we learn, you know, just by being here. It's constantly moving. How can we possibly hold on to anything? So nothing possible to hold on to. Just It's just this constant change happening. And then our heart, our mind, our whole being being in alignment with that constant change. So just as I was inspired by that image of the story of Siddhartha sitting next to the river, I could also have that deep listening to the teachings of the forest, the trees, the rain, the ceaselessly fluxing and flowing everythingness of life, not one thing standing still in this relative reality, in this conditional relative reality. So inwardly noticing that, sometimes inwardly noticing that there was a sense of wonder, a beautiful sense of awe, of being in alignment with it all, of not just outward but inward too. It's all happening like that a sense of beauty, that kind of inner beauty that can be in alignment with life on that deep level, a sense of very deep, quiet joy, that um, wellness, sense of well-being, a calmness that can see things as they really are, that inner stillness that slows down and can see things that we don't normally see. So, just these moments of grace that come upon us because we're doing the practice. It's so simple, but sometimes we make it so complex just thinking about it when it's all around us giving us those teachings. The flowing onness of everything around us, within us, even awareness, changing. Consciousness also changing, coming and going, arising, changing, passing away with every object. So just as I could easily open my heart and mind to the naturalness of this flowing river around, this river of sight, sound, senses, also this flowing river inwardly easily opening my heart to that river of life Um, what was the inner response to all of that? you know that inner, that quiet joy that sense of beauty within that sense of sometimes remembering the past and a little bit of harshness planning for the future and a little bit of tightening or sometimes a lot of tightening Noticing that appearing, that changing, that disappearing. So these experiences on a moment-to-moment level, the cycles of life moving through this body and mind, on this moment-to-moment level, are we seeing that? That's what the whole of this Dharma is pointing us to. It's pointing us to that because we are part of this whole nature. We can learn this from within and we can learn it from everything happening around us. Sometimes we as yogis have this sense of being totally connected with everything because of that connection within. We feel that just the elements of earth, wind, fire and water happening in this body-mind, so it's happening out there too. And there's no separation at all. There's this total sense of interconnectedness, that sense of deep community with our tribe, with our family, with our culture, with all beings. So, in recent times, though, I've been tuning in not just to that moment to moment cycles of life, but tuning into the immensity and infinity of impermanence after having come across some teachings of the Buddha and some of the suttas that I've read. That immensity and infinity of impermanence of the process of being human in this endless repeating cycle of birth, life, death and rebirth endlessly happening so if that if your mind can't go there about the rebirth thing some it's good enough it's to just stay in this life sometimes and understand from this life cycle you can think of it in terms of just one life this one life where we've taken birth going through infancy, adolescence, adulthood, the elder years, the dying process, and death. Just this one life, can we take in from that? Can we understand from this life how we can deepen into this understanding of impermanence? And from that understanding, learn in a very natural way not to hang on I mean, we don't even have to let go because we don't reach out to cling to anything. It's sort of like, in a very deep way, there's no reaching out to cling. It's just allowing things to do as they do. Taking the right course of action, saying the right words in this relational relative word world, doing what is necessary to help one another. That's all part of life. But also uh, deeply opening with compassion to how it's difficult sometimes and opening with joy to the wonders of joy and contentment when we're not reaching out, when we're not holding on. So this is called samsara, this process of human being in this endless cycle. One definition of samsara, I'll just it's a, a word frequently used in the Dharma, so it's it's good to know of these words, but you don't have to memorize them. Samsara is this perpetually wandering through states of existence, or the endless cycle of eternally becoming birth. The life changes death and rebirth within an infinite immense cycle so if re- I was reflecting on how long has this been flowing and fluctuating on and on for this mind and body continuum called Kamala and this life flowing and fluctuating since time immemorial <laughs> sometimes Manindraji would say when are you going to finish the job you know of giving up of um, giving up all greed all hatred, all delusion and so you know to me for my own understanding and um, it might be more intuitive understanding I understand this infinite cycle of life of rebirth and how many cycles have this has this mind and body gone through? You know, when will it ever totally let go of greed, hatred, and delusion? So I talked about some Vega when I gave the talk on faith, that spiritual urgency. It's this sense of urgency to escape the rounds of wandering through this endless cycle. And so that's that's where it is for me. And maybe for some of you, and maybe it's just this one life, you know, of really um, living up to our most noble aspiration, of living with a clarity and a serene confidence to be balanced as we go through this life, not being falling prey to lapsing into despair, or to be so striving and strident about our lives. So it's that quiet aspiration, that sense of urgency, that's a force in our lives in different degrees here. When I was younger, I listened to the words of the Buddha, and they were beyond my capacity to comprehend sometimes. But I always was assured that if I kept practicing, they would be experiential. That understanding would come to my own life, my own practice in an experiential way. And that understanding would change my life. And it's done that bit by bit. You know, sometimes there were cycles of my life when it happened all of a sudden, and it's like a new, a whole new view was there, and sometimes it was slow, slow learning and slow opening, and that was part of the cycle too, and just let it all in. So I'm going to read to you some of these uh, words of the Buddha that came from the ancient suttas, and um, they gave me a sense of the immensity of infinity that we're living in and just the immensity of impermanence through that infinity what is beyond the concept of time understanding the infinity of this cycle of birth and life and death so here's a one of the few suttas I'll read to you I like to offer the words of these, of our ancient masters, because sometimes, most times, I don't feel that I really have that to give, but I feel like a, a transmission is necessary. And it's not just all my opinions and ways of seeing things, but I do come from a place of understanding experientially some of these teachings to a certain depth. But, um, I'd like to offer the depth of the Buddha, so I want to read some of the things. So this was a time when a Brahmin in India asked the, the Blessed One, How many eons have elapsed and gone by in terms of wandering in this cycle of samsara? Is it possible to give a simile? So before I give the answer, I want to explain <clears throat> what an eon is. Because um, the answer talks about an eon. So an eon is a long time, an immeasurably long time. So in Buddhist cosmology, an eon is 4.32 billion years. I don't know how anybody came up with that, but um, in my research, um, that's what I learned. I also learned that the earth is... Uh, I, the Buddhist cosmology is 4.32 billion years, and I learned that the Earth is 4.5 billion years old. So that's almost close. So this Earth is like an eon, that long it's been here. In astronomy, one eon is 100,000 million years. So just keep that in mind as I give the response <laughs> of the Buddha. So again this is from the suttas, from the Samyutta Nikaya, from the Book of Causation, and this was translated into English by Bhikkhu Bodhi. A Brahman asked the Buddha, how many eons have elapsed and gone by in terms of wandering in this cycle of samsara? Is it possible to give a simile? It is possible, Brahman, the Blessed One said. Consider the grains of sand between the point where the river Ganges originates and the point where it enters the great ocean. Brahman, the eons that have elapsed and gone by are even more numerous than those grains of sand. It is not easy to count them and say there are so many eons, so many hundreds, so many thousands, or hundreds of thousands of eons. For what reason? Because Brahman, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. So that last sentence, when I read that, it is enough to be liberated from them. It was like my teacher say, saying to me, "Isn't that long enough for you to be um, wandering in the samsara? You know, when are you going to finish the job?" And so, um, it's time enough to be liberated from them. So on another occasion, whilst dwelling in Savati, the Blessed One said, Bhikkhus. Bhikkhus are like those of us who are practicing. This samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not discerned of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, fettered by craving." Whenever you see anyone in misfortune, in misery, you can conclude, we too have experienced the same thing in this long course. Whenever you see anyone happy and fortunate, you can conclude, we too have experienced the same thing in this long course. For what reason? Because, bhikkhus, this samsara is without discoverable beginning. It is enough to be liberated from them. And lastly, also at Savati, uh, the Buddha was giving a discourse. This samsara is without discoverable beginning. A first point is not discerned of beings roaming and wandering on, hindered by ignorance, fettered by craving. What do you think, bhikkhus? Which is more, the stream of tears that you have shed as you roamed and wandered on through this long course, weeping and wailing because of being united with the disagreeable and separated from the agreeable? Which is more, this or the water in the four great oceans? And the bhikkhus responded, As we understand the Dhamma taught by the Blessed One, The stream of tears we have shed weeping and wailing this alone is more than the water in the four great oceans and the Blessed One responded bhikkhus it is good that you understand the Dhamma in such a way so the fluctuations of even just one life our own life the stages of infancy childhood the teen years early, later adulthood, aging, elderhood, sickness, dying, death, happiness and sorrow, all the gain and loss, all the experiences we get caught in, in between, slips through our fingers like water from this river of life. What can we hold on to? The past, Manindra would always say, the past is dead and gone, the future is not yet born. But in this present moment, you can make your life. You can come to the end of suffering. And so, when I was in my 20s, the end of river was not something that I thought about. You know, it was, um I thought about, oh, I have long to live yet. And But, you know, as I've lived, I've, you know, I worked in a cemetery mortuary for 20 years, and I saw a lot of death around me. Uh, Upandita, the te- my teacher, would say, it's living, uh, working in a cemetery and mortuary is like living in a monastery, because you're constantly surrounded by the heavenly messengers. So, I was so busy raising children and uh, survival, but even so I had a lot of interest and in a beginning sense of urgency as I spoke about and realized um, you know that I wanted to know the meaning of life and how to really purify this this habit patterns that were seen so clearly so now at this age and like some of you most of that river is behind <laughs> and there's not so much in the future you know yeah hopefully maybe I'll live 20 more years maybe 30 more years and can take in a lot more practice in life and in, in retreat life too but there's this natural organic arising of the reflection of death that happens and the preciousness of this human life to really use this human life in beyond the, the sense of survival or just trying to get to a place of happiness, but to really understand that we can use this life for something deeper, you know, for um, purifying our own minds and hearts, so that we can help others along the way. So keeping the truth of impermanence in the forefront every day was has become more and more important to me. So, not long ago, I did some personal practice in Lumbini, the birthplace of the Buddha. Went there for a month. And um, I usually bring no reading material with me when I go on retreat. I just want to read my own heart and be with the simplicity and not the concepts of words, except words that I hear about the Dhamma and respectfully listening to my teachers uh, and what, what is to be offered. At this time I did bring along some words of advice uh, from a great Tibetan teacher. I have a great deal of respect. and um, I hear the teachings from all sides, you know, from other sides of the Dharma traditions, the Zen, the Tibetan side, from uh, all sides, from the Christian side too. I especially am connected to the teachings of Dilgo Kinsir Rinpoche, a great Tibetan teacher, and so often read his words. So I'd like to um, read to you these words that I brought with me. These were the only readings that I brought that I would read either in the morning or the evening before I went to bed. These words bring together a sense of urgency for me so I could use my time in retreat and understanding the deep preciousness of life and not um, just willy-nilly use my time there. But not in a strident, striving way, but to be in a way just in the naturalness of walking every day, the naturalness of seeing every day, of smelling, and then sitting you know, in the moment-to-moment um, pixelated view of of meditation and the stillness. So these are the words of Dilgo Kinsi Rinpoche. And um, I hope that the purity and strength of his heart and his intention can serve to wake you up. <laughs> Ask yourself how many of the billions of inhabitants of this planet have any idea of how rare it is to have been born as a human being. How many of those who understand the rarity of human birth ever think of using that chance to practice the Dharma? How many of those who think of practice actually do? How many of those who start continue? How many of those who continue attain ultimate realization? Indeed, those who attain ultimate realization compared to those who do not are as few as the stars you can see at daybreak. As long as you fail to recognize the true value of human existence, you will just fritter your life away in futile activity and distraction. When life comes all too soon to its inevitable end, you will have achieved nothing worthwhile at all. But once you really see the unique opportunity that human life can bring, you will definitely direct your energy into reaping its true worth by putting the Dharma into practice. Just as every single thing is always moving inexorably closer to its ultimate dissolution, so too your own life, like a burning butter lamp, will soon be consumed It would be foolish to think you can finish all your work and then retire to the later stages of your life practicing the Dharma. Can you be certain that you'll live that long? Does death not strike the young as well as the old? No matter what you're doing, therefore, remember death and keep your mind focused on the Dharma. So the Pali word for this infinity and immeasurability of impermanence is anicca. And most, if not all of you, are familiar with that word. What it means is the subtleties of the arising, the becoming different, becoming otherwise, the disappearing, the never staying the same subject to change in a bigger way it's realized as a continual flowing onness of life which is happening for all of us like this beginningless endless river emerging for from innumerable conditions and causes just like this body mind inwardly outwardly Fluxing, changing, moving, evaporating into different forms, becoming otherwise. So we're fortunate to be in this place surrounded by the Dharma, surrounded by trees, by the earth element, always changing by the water element, by the sun rays by the birds in flight by the stillness but everything's changing is it lost on you? is it lost on me? I mean that's a question we're all asking ourselves it doesn't have to be um, something that we're feeling a, a sense of grief about I mean, it is a loss when we see things leaving and dying and going, but it also can be quite beautiful when we take it in. So to understand this so profoundly that it's always changing, we really need to listen deeply. To be with the simple virtue of witnessing whatever is going around, Around us happening but mostly what's ever happening inwardly seeing that changing nature sometimes when we would report to our teachers it would be a very um, specialized kind of report because they were really checking on this moment-to- moment experience so with every single sense store we would have to report um, you know something clear that we've experienced when we could see, say, a moment of the breath arising and how it was changing and how it disappeared into the next moment. Sometimes we'd have to explain what happened with the so what's uh, what is called pain in the body, stiffness, tension, heat, warmth, coolness, pressure, um, softness. And uh, then if say anger arose, uh, we would have to explain, describe how anger arose. And then when we would say then it would disappear, there would be the question, how did it disappear? Did it was it like flowing on? Was it like disappeared like a cloud evaporating? And it would be it would have to be that kind of just, receiving deeply what's going on so you could actually know that. It was very important actually to see that with every single sense door. So it was important not only to see it through awareness, but for awareness to see every single object that clearly. So it was actually important to get close to the object, to see it closely enough, and to realize Anicca also, dukkha Nanata through with every single one of the um, five aggregates, which we might talk about in another talk. So it's really important to see it to understand in at every at every piece of what makes up this body-mind continuum. So. And yet, you know, through all this seeing in my own life, they're still resisting what's difficult. But the practice is coming close to that resistance. There's still aversion, there's still attachment. You know, I I always repeat, my my path is not yet finished, so of course it's still there. And the practice is coming close to that, seeing how that is always changing. And then sometimes seeing how awareness is changing with that as well. Both, you know, seeing the changing nature in both the objects and the awareness. Both are important. So in our practice, we learn to use our energy here to open to how it is, to use each changing present moment to realize These truths. The truth of Anicca opens to other truths. The Buddha would say it's better a single day of life perceiving how things rise and fall than to live out a century yet not perceive their rise and fall. So this is the various ways that we're coming to notice this fluctuating nature, this view of life. Not so much in nature around us, although that really helps, but this nature within, this body-mind, the incessant mind-boggling formations appearing, morphing, dissolving, moving, becoming otherwise. This is Anicca in all the four foundations of mindfulness and in awareness, which is part of those four four foundations of mindfulness in everything. We're learning that experientially. One characteristic of this um, opening uh, to Anicca is that we begin to see How oppressive it is, you know, this incessant origination and dissolution. So we open to that kind of suffering, that kind of dukkha, that kind of Dharma dukkha on a deep level. And actually to see that it it just helps to wake us up. It helps us to turn the mind to release because it really it realizes deeply this oppressive nature. It's it's possible to experience that in a way that brings relief, in a way that doesn't hang on to that anymore. So it's this understanding of Nietzsche that helps us understand dukkha or suffering more clearly. That's a that understanding of dukkha is a whole other. Um, talk and understanding we won't go into that now so we feel in ever deepening harmony with ourselves and when we do because we're living in alignment with that when we take it in we're not um, deceiving ourselves anymore we're not deceiving the mind anymore we're seeing it more and more clearly it's happening naturally we don't have to try you just follow the instructions in a really natural way and it happens, which is kind of like a natural unfolding. We live in alignment with that truth and so we see it all around us. I I mentioned the other day about one of our colleagues, a psychologist, um, Jack Engler. He also practiced with Manindraji And he said, the whole of our Dharma lives is learning to live with loss. Because we're constantly letting go of the ways we've seen things. Constantly not hanging on. And learning to live with that loss in a way that gives us great happiness in our lives. The happiness of not hanging on. The happiness of not clinging the happiness of being with things as they are, with such clarity that we know how to act appropriately also. We know how to live wisely. So we're listening to this flow of the river, listening more and more deeply through the years, through the various lifetimes, if we're open to that just being with the present moment. This uh, from the Sutta Nipata, the Buddha's um, utterings. Let there be nothing behind you. Leave the future to one side and grasp not what remains in the middle. So what happens when we do that? Leave the f- future to one side, the past behind us, and not hold on to what comes up. It's just the ability to see the flow of nature deeply. So finally, this flowing onness of this river, this flowing onness of the everythingness of life teaches us not to resist the truth. And we start to live life from a place of richer meaning we use our life skillfully with one another we're very careful about our own karmic stream not to harm others not to harm ourselves we turn towards liberation at the same time we serve humanity it's not separate it's together we understand the preciousness of life and how to use it, the importance of being kind. We practice renunciation, letting go of our unkindness. As Suzuki Roshi said, true renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but knowing that they go away. I'd just like to end with this um, a couple of things one from uh, one of our great teachers Mr. Goenka he said real wisdom is recognizing and accepting that everything is impermanent every experience with this insight you will not be overwhelmed by ups and downs And when you are able to maintain inner balance, you can choose to act in ways that create happiness for yourself and others. Living each moment happily with an equanimous mind, you will surely progress towards the ultimate goal of liberation from all suffering. So with all that wisdom around us, within us, from all these great teachers, um, just like to express um, my gratitude for having the teachings come from you. Also, hearing your lives—it's really um, inspiring. And um, may we continue to open together in our life here together. So let's sit for a moment. So this second piece, I want to read you as we are sitting silently with our eyes closed, taking it in, just kind of in line more with our everydayness of life and the impermanence of it. This is from Achan one of our great teachers of the forest. Teachings of um, Thailand. This is called The Leaves Will Always Fall. Every day or two, the open grounds and walkways of the monastery must be swept clear of the leaves that fall. The monks come together, team up, and with long-handled bamboo brooms, sweep clearing all the leaves in their path. All the while the forest continues to give its teachings. The leaves fall, the monks sweep, and yet even while the sweeping continues and the near end of the long path is being cleared, the monks look back and see a new scattering of leaves, already starting to cover their work. Our leaves are like the breath, Like the growing and falling leaves, says Achancha. when we can really understand about falling leaves, we can sweep the paths every day and have great happiness in our lives on this changing earth. Thank you for your kind attention. Let's have a little time to walk and um, enjoy the evening air and back here for our last chant and sitting of the day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit